Mike check one two one two. Mike check one two one two. We back for another episode. It's a taste to consider podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver, and we back. Back for another episode. Let's go. Yes, indeed, we are back for another episode of Taste to Consider Podcast. Let's go. Stay sick and sit a podcast. Ooh, my honey. You got me working day and night. Ooh, my sugar. You got me working day and night. Scratch my shoulder. It's aching like you feel right. Say sick and sit a podcast. Let's go. and sit a podcast yes sir say sick and sit a podcast let's go Say stick and sit a podcast. Say stick and sit a podcast. Let's go. Sick and Sit a Podcast. We are back for another episode. Starting the pod all oh, two weeks in a row with Michael Jackson. This time without his brothers. <laughs> Say Sick and Sit a Podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Silver. Let's go.
say you sing us to the podcast. consider podcast we back for another episode yes indeed feels so good to be back yes indeed recording a little later than i would like to but we here it is sunday evening sunday night however you want to look at it but we here we back back for another episode yes indeed Taste to consider podcast, man. Who feels so good to be back? That was Michael Jackson working day and night off the Off the Wall album. One of my favorite albums of all time, period, as well as all time favorite Michael album. Yes. Speaking of Michael Jackson and the song Working Day and Night, let me play a clip for you. What time you go to sleep? Man, I made those off, ain't no telling. I get a few hours in and I'm back up. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? You know, I went through some things about not getting rest, but yeah. it's like... It, Yes, My desires, yeah. and I love to do what I do so much, I don't even want to sleep long. I want to get up right now. And go get it. And go get it. Let's go get it. Black man, black man. Nah, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into the trap of working day and night. No. Don't do it. I mean, shit. Rick Ross said it himself. He dealt with some health issues because of not getting sleep. He said he overcame it. But what is he doing? Still working day and night. It's cool to love what you do, have that ambition, that go-getter mentality and stuff, but you got to have a healthy work-life balance. Yes, not getting enough sleep can cause a lot of harm to your physical, your mental, and your emotional. It's not worth it. That money ain't going nowhere that you chasing. Them girls ain't going nowhere that you chasing. Whatever you chasing, it ain't going nowhere. It'll be there once you wake up. I promise you. (laughs) Stop listening to these celebrities and the things that they say when it comes to not getting sleep. You know? Because sleep is definitely important. You could be chasing whatever you chasing, not getting enough sleep. And then you just taking time off that clock. You just taking time off the clock. That's all it is. So it's not really worth it, you know. That sleep is the most important thing, if not one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves. So, 
back for another episode second episode of season four man i appreciate all of the great feedback that i got from uh episode one heartbreak hotel i did not expect the feedback that i got from it um one thing that i always try to tell you know people about a lot of creatives out here and stuff like that feedback is very important you know what i'm saying you know we ask for to share our stuff and you know purchase donate whatever you know depends on what artistry you're doing but feedback is very important either negative or positive is important any type of dialogue is important for a creative and particularly in this podcast space because the this podcast space is still fairly new and you know it's a lot of people you know getting into it now and um that feedback helps to give you know a lot of us indie podcasters motivation you know it helps us clean up some things work on things and to better be able to interact and give the audience what they want and what they need you know particularly when they're um, consistent supporters, you know. So I appreciate all the supporters out there, all the people who hit me up on social media um, that interact with me. You know what I'm saying? Give me everything, you know, the negative and positive, you know. Um, If you want to be on a podcast, if you want to submit a question, whatever, holler at me, you know what I'm saying, because I'm open to all of that. This is about interacting this is about having healthy discussions conversations i don't do debates because i mean shit we not on a debate team and debates are facts and what i'm doing is based off of experiences and opinions and you know just for some shits and giggles at times (laughs) so uh thank you everybody who gave me feedback on heartbreak hotel um I appreciate that. I I was shocked, you know, um, uh, the the amount of love that I got from that episode. Um, Shout out to everybody who actually shared the podcast, you know what I'm saying? Because that's definitely something that, you know, I need and I want, you know, the listeners to do. If you if you feeling it, even if you're not feeling it, you know, what I'm saying share the podcast, you know, because, you know, I'm just a black man out here trying to do something constructive. So, um, uh, where do I begin? Um, yeah, the last episode was two hours long. I didn't even know it was two hours long. I was talking and talking and talking. It was actually people that hit me up and said, yeah, I ain't even realized the episode was two hours long, two hours long because you know what I'm saying? I was just into it and it was just fun. But yeah, I, I really don't like doing two hour episodes, even though I have a few of them. I prefer to stick with, you know, an hour and a half. Uh, maybe hour and 45 minutes max or whatever because i know you know people's attention spans are uh all over the place considering the fact that you got a whole uh seven days to listen to the podcast before a new one come out you can listen to it in increments but yeah so you know i missed a few things from last episode um I'm going to start this episode off with the movie and tv stuff i've watched a lot of stuff stuff since the last time that I recorded um, back in November um, till the last 
episode Heartbreak Hotel that was last week. So I'm not going to go over everything I watched. I'm going to break it up as best as I can. But I'm only going to bring up the stuff that was rele- that's relevant. Excuse me. Burp number one. Dang. Burp number two. That's relevant to this actual episode. But one actual review of a TV show has to do with last episode. And I don't want to prolong it too much more. But let me get into what I'm drinking. I'm drinking some Terramana tequila. Terramana gold tequila. One of my go-tos. One of my favorites. Uh, Nice price. Nice taste. Nice and smooth. I don't even need no chaser for it. What I'm smoking is, I'm smoking one of my mini cigars that I had in my pack um, that I bought, shit, back in November. I had a pack of cigars that I bought, and it was like five or six of them in it. And this is the last one from the pack, and it's a mini cigar. And it's a Zucar cigar, Z-U-C-A-R cigar. It's just a mini cigar. I mean, this Sunday, I got work in the morning, so, I mean, I ain't trying to do do too much of outrageous um smoking and drinking so yeah we here yeah so let's get into the show let me take a puff i gotta relight the cigar had it sitting for a little longer um yeah so i'm on spotify google play amazon apple podcast stitcher the first episode of season four Heartbreak Hotel is up on YouTube. This one should be as well. So I'm trying to be a little bit more proactive with recording, video recording my episodes and putting them up on YouTube. <laughs> um, but there won't be no music on there, unfortunately. You know, I like to tie in music into my episodes. So, yeah. To the movie and TVs, TV reviews. So, I didn't get a chance to talk about this TV show review on the last episode. It had to do with, you know, heartbreak hotel and breakups and heartbreaks, relationships, all that good stuff. So, I'm going to start off with the movie and TV reviews with this TV review. And it's of the last season of Insecure that was been over with for a couple of weeks or a month or so now i don't remember but (laughs) uh the last season of insecure uh i enjoyed it but it wasn't as good as i thought it could could have been or should have been but overall you know i'm saying i enjoyed it but i thought i kind of felt like it was rushed they kind of rushed through a lot of the episodes and a lot of the storylines and to be honest, I was surprised that Nathan, uh, not Nathan, um, shit, Lawrence and Issa got back together, and you know they got through all of their their stuff <laughs> and got back together and worked everything out and decided to live a life together. But what I thought was funny about the last season and those episodes was the fact that you know Issa she was messing with Nathan and Nathan we seen him in previous seasons and basically he was the rebound dude for Issa so he was a a multiple 
rebound guy for Issa in Insecure. And it was funny because when I was watching the show over the seasons and stuff, and particularly the last season, it was like Nathan was in the same exact position that Lawrence was in in the beginning of Insecure, like season one, season two, when he didn't really know what his purpose was. He wasn't really confident in himself and stuff like that. But Issa was with him, was with Nathan. But when she was with Lawrence back then, you know what I'm saying, she cheated on him and all that other stuff and carried him and stuff. Not to say that, you know what I'm saying, Lawrence wasn't wrong in some of the stuff he was doing, but Lawrence was going through some things, you know what I'm saying. Lawrence was probably going through depression and stuff like that. And it was like everybody was always jumping jumping on the guys in insecure and nobody was never holding Issa Rae accountable for her basically being a person that you know what I'm saying wasn't self-aware of her own her own BS her own bullshit the stuff that she needed to work on but she was always blaming everybody else for what was going on even outside of the romantic relationships when you saw her dealing with work relationships her friendships and stuff like that, she wasn't too accountable for things that was going on in those relationships. But yeah, um, <laughs> I just always thought that was funny, man. Um, let me see what else. I know it was a couple of other points that I had to make about the last season and just the that relationship overall, uh, Issa and her relationships overall. But I kind of like just felt like Issa... Re- you know what I'm saying? Issa on Insecure was just full of shit, man. She was repeating cycles. She was re- repeating cycles a lot. And that was one thing that I talked about on the last episode and, and previous episodes, period, when we get into the mindset of people and in and out of relationships and stuff like that and not really dealing with the stuff that they need to deal with internally, that they repeat a lot of cycles. And a lot of people are self-aware of how they repeat cycles with different people. You may be sitting here saying, well, I'm getting different experiences, but you having the same experience just with a different face. You know what I'm saying? Um, What else? Yeah, but I just thought I thought it was interesting, but I thought, it, you know, what I'm saying it was cool. You know, what I'm saying for show wise, it was cool and everything, you know, that Issa finally got to the point where she started to see that. You know, you just have to make a choice. You know what I'm saying? Do I want to be with this person despite, you know, whatever quote unquote red flags they have? You know what I'm saying? Red flags is a big thing these days because of social media, as if anybody as if anybody and everybody don't have red flags. And, you know, what I'm saying you just have to make a choice. You know what I'm saying? Do I really want to be with this person? And, you know, what I'm saying and just be with the person, you know, Lawrence. He had a kid out, you know, outside of their relationship, not while they were while him and Issa was in a relationship, but during their one of their breakups. But, you know, what I'm saying we always get caught up into everybody else. You know, what I'm saying the people that's in our ears and in our head and what we see on social media and stuff like that, that make we let those outside uh, disruptions or those outside voices and stuff uh, make decisions for us when we truly know what we want or and what we need. You know what I'm saying? Not to say to just jump into certain situations and stuff that are toxic and bad for you. You know what I'm saying? But 
a lot of times we let toxic and bad examples outside of us make decisions for us that we should be making internally. And it got to the point where, like, doing Insecure the, the last season, Issa's best friend, Molly, that she's gone through back and forth crap with, you know what I'm saying, that Molly, she actually matured internally, and she just basically had to tell Issa, you know what I'm saying, stop faking like you don't want to be with Lawrence. Be with Lawrence. He said he wants to be with you, so be with Lawrence. And, you know what I'm saying, it's just all about, finding the right people to get advice from or to listen to or to confide in because everybody isn't the best person to to do those things with um yeah what else let me see let me check my notes because you know uh, i got all a, a rack of notes it, i can definitely jump on the the mic and and just talk but i'd rather be concise with with my with the things that I say and my agenda for the particular topic or topics for the podcast. <laughs> but um yeah. The last season was cool. I thought it was good. It could have been better, but overall it was good. I felt like they rushed it a little bit, but overall it was cool. But I always felt like they were insecure cuz their episodes was always between 20 20 minutes and 30 minutes i always felt like the show could have been an hour long and it could have been even better but like i said people's attention span so i'm sure that was that played a factor in that but um what else yeah i mean it was just a lot of stuff if you saw the last season of insecure like she she was uh she was definitely showing Nathan that he was a rebound, but Nathan, he was just all over the place himself. And he was dealing with his own mental health issues. He was, he was a uh, bipolar. And he was always in a situation where he was just trying to figure out what he wanted to do, where he wanted to be and stuff like that. So that was kind of a even worse situation for Issa to be in. But like I said, Nathan was a rebound dude multiple times for Issa so she was more so she was more open to taking the bullshit that he was doing and it was the same stuff that Lawrence was doing well not technically the same some of it was the same or some of it was similar but it was the same thing where you know what I'm saying Nathan didn't really know it where he was at where he was going and what he wanted to do and it was by this point, Lawrence already figured himself out. You know what I'm saying? He finally, you know, worked through his depression and the things that he was going through uh, internally. And he got himself together. But I kind of feel like, you know what I'm saying, in the process of him getting himself together and Issa getting back with him, them going doing their back and forth and stuff, that – it never worked out because Issa never really worked on the shit that she should have been working on. She was always, you know what I'm saying, pointing the finger at everybody else and not working on herself. You know what I'm saying? So even when Lawrence had his shit together and her and Issa got back, him and Issa got back together, it was a thing where she was still finding things wrong with with Lawrence or the relationship period. But they ain't have nothing to do with him and the relationship that had to do with the stuff that she never worked out and the stuff that she still needed to work out. But, yeah, 
you know what I'm saying? Heartbreak Hotel, that's what that was all about. Let me move on from that and get to uh, some more movie and TV reviews. So I had the opportunity of watching a documentary. Um, It was on the Discovery Network, and it was called Uprooted. It was a docuseries. It had three episodes. It was, uh, like I said, it was called Uprooted, a docuseries that investigated the case of Keith Warren, a black Merlin teenager found hanging from a tree in 1986. And the reason why I watched this particularly is because I live in Merlin. This, uh, he, he was found hanging in Montgomery County, Merlin. This is a neighboring county that I live in. I live in Prince George's County. And these two counties are suburbs of the District of Columbia, D.C. So that was one thing that uh, pulled me towards this docuseries. And I got to say, man, the Montgomery County Police Department is full of shit. I encourage everybody to watch this documentary. It's called this docuseries. It's three episodes. Three episodes. It's called Uprooted. And even go on Google and look this up. His name was Keith Warren. And it just shows like, and you know what I'm saying? I always tell people like Merlin is the South. You know, a lot of people don't see it as the South, but Merlin is the South. It's is country as hell in Merlin. You can tell by our accents. Like, if you hear me talking, you can hear a little southern drawl in my accent. Merlin is the country. Merlin is, is southern. Merlin is racist. <laughs> it's a lot of, you know what I'm saying, slavery was going on in Merlin back in those times. So Merlin is definitely a, a state and an area that has a lot of, you know, bigotry, racism, and all of that in it. And during that time in 1986 was around a time where a lot of, you know, particularly in the 80s, a lot of black families were becoming middle class and they was moving out of D.C. and moving into Prince George's County and Montgomery County in those suburb areas because Prince George's County is the most affluent black county in the country. So, that documentary, I felt like it was real telling. It was real powerful. Um, the Montgomery County Police Department is full of shit. So, I mean, I encourage everybody to look look up Keith Warren and the docuseries Uprooted and, and watch it as well. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to go too much into it and, and spoil it. But it was definitely a good documentary. And the family is still fighting to this day to find out what really happened to Keith Warren. His hanging was ruled a suicide. But I will say this. It wasn't a suicide. So check that out. Another documentary that I watched was untold breaking point um it's on netflix and it was about uh tennis player marty fish fish his first name is spelled m-a-r-d-y marty and his last name is spelled fish you know how to spell fish i hope you do (laughs) but yeah it was about marty fish and 
he was a, a tennis player, a American tennis player, and he was a high profile one of the one of the high profile American tennis players. And uh, the reason why I decided to watch that documentary um, one day, I was just sitting around looking for something to watch, and I was on Netflix, and I saw that the documentary dealt with. In the description of it, it said, you know, it was talking about anxiety. And that is something that I have uh, dealt with in my life. And so it piqued my interest. Once again, that documentary is called Untold Breaking Point. It's a very good documentary. Marty Fish is a white guy. And I usually, when I speak about, you know what I'm saying, um, I'm a mental health advocate, you know what I'm saying? I advocate for better mental health, uh, the awareness of it, all of that. I speak on my experiences. I'm not a mental health professional. I speak on my experiences. I give my opinions based off of the things that I've dealt with, the things that I've seen, um, you know, uh, through other people. Um, but this, ser- this, this documentary is is one full episode and it's very good. It's talking about Marty Fish and how he dealt with anxiety and the stigma around men when it comes to anxiety. I usually just focus on black men when it comes to black people and, and black men in particular when it comes to mental health because, you know what I'm saying, our experience is definitely totally different than white people's experience. But I thought... This documentary was very telling because of some of the similar stigmas, period, around mental health and around mental health with men. So I ain't going to lie. It got to the point where a certain point when during the documentary where something just clicked in my mind that they was talking about during the documentary or triggered me to the point where, like, I got emotional. Like, I started boo-hooing, crying off of the things that was being talked about in that documentary because I've been there before. You know what I'm saying? I've been there. I've dealt with it. And it was just like a, a, a big release for me. But check that documentary out. It's called Untold Breaking Point, and it's about Marty Fish. You know what I'm saying? So you can watch the documentary, or you can even do your Googles and look up Marty Fish. I also had the chance to go see A Journal for Jordan. And that movie uh, starred Shantae Smith and Michael B. Jordan. I've been I've been pressed to, to see that movie because I'm a big fan of Shantae Smith. <laughs> um yeah, I feel like she's the 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 up and coming, the new Nia Long. Nobody can beat Nia Long, but I kind of feel like she's on she she's on the the cusp, the cusp of being the new Nia Long. Yeah, <laughs> but I went to the movie theaters uh, by myself to check it out. Um, it was a good movie. Uh, it was it was considered a drama as well as a love movie, but I, I saw it more as a drama. It had its love elements in it, but, like, the impact of the drama part was, like, deep. Like, it it hit me in a way. Like, the older I'm getting, like, I'm 40 years old now, the older I'm getting, the more, <laughs> more 
and then just going to therapy and stuff like that. I'm able to not hold on to my emotions and my feelings and stuff the same way. So I ain't gonna lie, like the first 10 minutes of the damn movie, I was in there, damn tears rolling down my eyes and shit. Cause I'm like, damn, this joint hitting me. <laughs> so it was a couple of points in that movie while I was sitting in that movie theater by myself that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got them tears start flowing. And it was funny because I was the only guy in the theater. It was it wasn't a lot of people in the theater, but I was the only guy in that theater. It was all women. I was the only guy in the theater. But yeah, and the movie is based off of a true story, true events. So um, I believe Nine was out dig- digitally. So you know what I'm saying? You can find it uh, whether you want to pay for it digitally or if you know how to do your thing, then you can find the movie. <laughs> and watch it but it's a very good movie um michael b jordan was michael b jordan (laughs) um (laughs) i'm a fan of michael b jordan but he's not the he's not denzel you know what i'm saying he's not wills he's not the greatest actor ever ever you know what i'm saying so maybe he'll get there but you know what i'm saying michael b jordan is usually michael b jordan in every movie that he plays but shantae smith did a very great job in the movie um she played in uh the photograph and she also played in Shantae 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 on Netflix she was she played the character of Shantae in the Netflix movie Shantae Shantae in the photograph she played Issa Rae's mother so if you've seen the photograph and you've seen Shantae then you should know who she is and the crazy thing about it is when she played in Shantae Shantae who was her mother, Nia Long. So, that, you know what I'm saying? I, that was just a great movie for me. <laughs> but, yeah, check that movie out. It was a good movie for all my lovers and the dramatics. What else? Um, Yeah, so I checked out this new docuseries that uh, recently came out. Uh, it... Is produced by Tina Knowles, Beyonce's mother, and it's called Profiled, The Black Man. It's also on the Discovery Network. It has four episodes to it. Three episodes are out right now. Uh, the next ep- the next and last episode comes out next Saturday. But basically what the, the docuseries is about is it is... Um, trying it says let me just read the description it says pervasive stereotypes and obstacles that affect black men interviews with celebrities educators and everyday people confronting controversial topics and highlights black men who are changing the narrative so let me just read the title of a couple of the episodes the first episode was called black men are dangerous and it was going in it was talking about you know uh society and the media how they perpetuate how black men are dangerous the stereotypes around that the second episode was called black men are absent fathers so they talked about the stereotype um the stereotypes surrounding that the third episode that came out yesterday um was talking about how black men don't love black women so they talked about that stereotype so the next episode comes out next saturday but it's a good it's a good um, docu-series. I feel like they could have went a little deeper, but 
I mean, I don't know. I ain't part of Hollywood, so I don't, you know what I'm saying? But I know it's politics going on and people afraid to go too far or networks won't let you go too far. But I felt like they could have, like the first episode was real intense. But then after that, it kind of like went downhill. It kind of died down a little bit. But it was still informative and it was still good. It opened up, you know what I'm saying? It opened up the conversation, particularly for, I believe, in the black community it you know what i'm saying because the way i feel about it white people gonna see us the way they gonna see us because they've just been programmed and indoctrinated to see us the way that they're gonna see us but i feel like the focus should be on how we see ourselves and that's where the issue is and why are we going through a lot of the things that we're going through because we see ourselves in a totally skewed manner uh uh a programmatic manner you know what i'm saying we've been indoctrinated or trained to see ourselves the way that our colonizers or our um you know what i mean <laughs> but yeah check that john i was called profiled the black man um but what was interesting about it is what what led me to even to want to watch it even more outside the fact that, you know, saying it was about black men was the fact that there is a change dot org um, petition out there for the Discovery Channel to get rid to cancel the show. And this is what the title of the change dot org petition is it says cancel problematic discovery series that ignores the victimization of black women and i'm like how the hell did this this damn petition come out and the show ain't even finished yet and then for the, the specific fact even after watching the third episode where they was talking about how the stigma or the falsehood around black men not loving black women or valuing black women was bigging up black women like hell and the crazy part about this is, let me read some of the comments that was part of this uh, change.org petition. And these comments were from black women. First comment, I pray to God they bring back that 1994 crime bill. Amen. A black woman said that. Here's another black woman. I'm proud of black women for staying on code with each other and speaking up about this. And hopefully there'd be enough pushback and the documentary gets came. Another black woman change the stereotypes equals change of behavior that is not happening. They deserve all the smoke they get. These are black women that are saying this. And I've talked. I, I will go back to that episode still lynching 2020 where the willie lynch letter from back in the 1700s where willie lynch uh wrote the letter to the slave owners in the united states he was in the caribbean at that time and he he taught the slave masters how to treat the slaves and one of the particular things that um, he said in his letter was, and I encourage everybody to go read it. It ain't even long. It'll take five, ten minutes at the most. Um, 
he was saying how you emasculate the black man first to the point where you put fear in the black woman's um, mind and her heart to the point where she doesn't trust the black man no more. And that she if she bears a, a black male child, that she will she will automatically do the emasculating for you. So you don't have to do it based off of her fear. Her fear and distrust of a black man being able to protect her. So, <laughs> I mean, this shit, like I always say this. Black people always be talking about something. We need money, reparations, and all that other stuff. Yeah, we do. We do. But, you know what I'm saying? What we really need is a mind check. Mentally and emotionally, black people are fucked up. Like, we fucked up. This is why we're going through all the problems. This is why it's easy for us to fight each other because we've already been programmed to see each other a certain way that we don't trust each other. We They use the same tactics from back then still to this day to program us to not be able to come together as a black family. Here's another comment. Black men are a menace to society. They are killers, rapists, pedophiles, absent to their children, pimps, liars, thieves, and nuances to the planet. They have no money and no education and nothing beneficial to add. You free the need, you free black women. A black woman. That was what she wrote. (laughs) You don't see no other ethnic groups doing this infighting. Except us. Even black people outside of America. Like foundational black American people. American indigenous people. American Indian people. Quote unquote black people. Quote unquote Negroes of America. Are the only quote unquote black people in the world that does this. So I ran across a couple of tweets and memes and stuff like that that, you know, what I'm saying just show how a lot of this stuff is <laughs> is the way it is. And, you know, what I'm saying the way people look at things. This one this one thing says this is from a black woman. She says. No, I ain't even going to read it. I'm going to come back to that. So one point of the, the docu-series profiled the black man um sway is on there you know sway from mtv and stuff like that and you know uh his his radio show on series so he brought up an interesting um point and it was a study in the american psychological association and that study um had um people uh sitting in a small group of people and they were showed photographs of a black man and a white man. And this black, these black men and, and uh, white men were the same height, same weight, um, same physical, physical attributes, right? And they showed multiple pictures to this small group. And each and every one of the photos... They ask which person looks more threatening, more stronger, and all this other stuff. In this, in those small groups, each and every person picked the black man, despite the fact that 
these men were the same height, same weight, same physical structure and all that. Everybody looked at the black man as being the biggest threat. <laughs> and I never heard of the study before. I knew about the the um the study where they showed kids the do- the doll baby jump, where they showed the ki- and the brown paper bag jump. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Where they showed the the kid they gave the kids the two dolls, the white doll and the black doll, and they said which one is bad and which one is good. And most of the kids Majority of the kids picked the black doll as being bad and the white one being good. And then the brown paper bag. And look it up if you never heard of it or if you never seen it before. And if, and look it up, period, because I'm sure you need a refresher like we all do. And it's important in these times to get these refreshers because we are all out here just just <laughs> tripping. <laughs> so, yeah, that was an actual study. And I looked it up. I, I Googled it and it came directly up on the American Psychological Association website <laughs> that they had this study. And it was completely accurate as told from how Sway explained it. Crazy, <laughs> crazy, but not surprising, you know. Um, yeah, so that's the TV and movie review. Um I've chilled off the blackity black woke segment for a while. Um, you know what I'm saying? I was heavily talk doing that last season, talking about the vaccine and stuff like that. But as you can see, us conspiracy theories and and me period, all the stuff that I pointed out is coming to fruition, coming to light, all the truths and stuff like that. I'm still not vaccinated. I still have loved ones, close family members, my mother, father, you know, all them people are vaccinated so it's never about you know what i'm saying judging someone's choices i just believed in us being informed properly about things so we can make a informed decision you know what i'm saying that's what the medical community is supposed to do what's it called uh informed consent or something like that i forgot the the term that they use that they have to give us the correct information to us so we can make an informed choice and that's what it's all been about to me and as well as just the 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 bullshit behind all of this stuff you know what i'm saying all these companies have made so much money and the politicians have made money off of the stocks and stuff like that or whatever you know what i'm saying but it was all bullshit every president that comes in the office has an agenda and agenda for themselves as well as the people who who put them in power to make money for them i mean you go out through history and look at each and every president all this shit is built all of wars are built off of making money and this was a biological war to me and i'm not gonna go any further because I'm, I'm i'm honestly tired of talking about this shit people gonna do whatever they want to do and that's their right but i think that a lot of times people are just programmed into doing it people were pushed into fear based off of fear into doing a lot of this stuff when it comes to this vaccine and shit and yeah whatever let me move on so uh black men are not being hired black men are not being hired and let me pull up that article uh let me see yeah, it says 
Um, companies still aren't hiring black men despite 10.6 million open jobs in the U.S. It's costing the economy $50 billion. $50 billion is costing the economy. So I'm going to read a little bit from the article, a couple of points from it. It says, uh, throughout the history of the U.S., black men have historically had a tough time getting employment. The unemployment rate for black men was 7.3% in November 2001, 2021, excuse me, compared to 3.4% of white men being unemployed, according to Labor Department data. Currently, 697,000 black men are still looking for work, even as the U.S. recorded 10.6 million vacant jobs in November. So the job's out there, but people just don't want to hire the black black men. However, companies still aren't hiring black men. This decision has resulted in $50 billion being lost for the economy, a study says. So we already, if you pay attention to, to politics, you watch the news and whatever, you know that we are in the economy, the U.S. economy is in a deficit. Always been in a deficit as far as I can remember. And it there is the systematic white supremacy or the systematic racism is so strong, so deep to the point where they don't even want to stimulate the economy as long as they keep the black man down. So when you hear the black man always talking about the white man over, over the years, decades and stuff in movies, TV, um, in real life and stuff like that, that shit hasn't been a lie. But they want to make it seem like it's a lie. And who do they use to perpetuate those narratives and those lies? Black women. You see how relationships are effed up. When black women don't want to get with black men because they ain't making a certain amount of money or they struggling to find a job or keep a job or stuff like that. And making it seem as though these black men are, quote unquote, trifling. But there is a systematic structure in place that keep black men from getting jobs so let me read a little bit more from it it says uh, black men have been excluded from the workforce due to racist hiring practices as well being killed and imprisoned at higher rates than other groups a new study by the center for economic and policy research the void of not hiring black men in the workplace has an effect on the entire economy Quote, we could add about $30 billion annually to black communities and make a significant reduction in black poverty, end quote, writes Algernon Austin, the author of the CEPR study. That's the Center for Economic and Policy Research. The figure increased from $30 billion to $50 billion after factoring in black men of prime working age who die or are incarcerated in who are incarcerated in 2020 the incarceration rate of black american in local jails was 465 incarcerations per 100,000 of the of the population the highest rate of any ethnicity according to the bureau of justice statistics and let me read a, a little bit more and then um we can move on you know, uh, it says for months, employers have been saying they can't find people to fill open jobs um, by not 
Uh, let me see. I already read that part. Um, it was something important. Um, I wanted to point out about this study. Um, let me see. It says for black men, there is never a period of, of quote, low end quote, unemployment. The unemployment rate for black men has never been low. Austin says it would be more correct to characterize it as high, very high or extremely high. While employers are calling the current labor conditions in the U.S. a shortage, quote unquote, a shortage. As they struggle to hire, black men of working age continue to have the highest unemployment rate of any gender or race. It's been that way for the past two decades throughout job market ups and downs. Experiments on hiring discrimination stretching back to the 1970s show it happens from entry level positions to jobs requiring a college degree. So they don't even want to let black men in even, you know, what I'm saying on the entry level positions. They, we can't even get our foot in the door in, in a lot of cases. Not some cases, a lot of cases. It says, quote, black job seekers face discrimination even when they have an elite college degree, such as one from Harvard or Stanford. So that's saying that's saying a lot. You know what I'm saying? The, despite the fact that black men are going to college, you know what I'm saying, they're wanting to work they wanting to take care of their families take care of their responsibilities and stuff and just have a purpose and one of the biggest things for black men is to find their purpose and that purpose usually comes from you know what job you work in the career you have the money you're making and stuff like that so what is in turn is that doing if they don't have that purpose if they don't have income if they don't have a career and stuff that f's up the black family so it says criminal justice and black employment are inextricably, I messed that totally up, inextricably linked. <laughs> it says one major reason for black men not working is that many of them are incarcerated or they die at a young age. Even before the pandemic, black people saw roughly 74,000 more deaths than their white counterparts between 2016 and 2018, according to a report from last February, for reasons like greater infant mortality, environmental damage to the black to black communities and lower quality health care. So it just ain't no thing that they you know, what I'm saying, despite how they try to make it seem that we just out here killing each other. No, what that has to do with is. A lot of we don't have proper health care, you know, what I'm saying, and black women should know this for the simple fact that there have been so many studies and just y'all experiences, period, on how when y'all go to the doctor and when y'all particularly specifically when y'all are pregnant and going into labor and y'all speak on certain things and stuff like that and how the doctors that aren't of the same community as us, they ignore it. They see us as having a higher threshold of pain as opposed to any other race. So we really have to be diligent in speaking up for ourselves and demanding proper care. You know what I'm saying? When they when they say environmental damage, I mean, you can sit here and blame that on black folk all day. Well, you don't take care of your community. You don't take care of your community. But when systematically they have they don't they, they aren't giving us resources in our schools and our homes, jobs and stuff like that. So what do you expect to happen? You know what I'm saying? 
Oh my. Um, let me see if that's it. That's it. I believe. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, that that is out there. Um, black men, are, we aren't getting hired. I mean, and just based off of my experiences, yeah, I've I've been working ever since I was thirteen years old. When I first started working, it wasn't paid work; it was volunteer work. I was working at thirteen years old during the summertime, um, working at the summer programs and stuff like that, and. And I've gone to college. I got a bachelor's degree and all that other stuff. But it it has been difficult for me to find jobs, to get the pay that I deserve based on my experience and what I do and all of that stuff. So, you know what I'm saying? I definitely understand the article. I've been laid off before. I'm a government contractor, so I've been laid off before and seeing how, how difficult it is to find a new job and stuff like that and actually get paid what you worth and stuff like that. And it's totally different. You know, the dynamic has changed these days. You know, the the man, the black man has always been the provider um, in the black household around, you know, coming up all the way through the 70s and you know once the 70s came that's when a lot of things had had changed you know a lot of government programs were put in place to the point where black women and this is something that was touched on in that um document that docuseries profile the black man how the black woman had to actually choose between taking care of herself as well as her kids with government assistance or kick her, you know what I'm saying? She either had to kick her man out to get that government assistance, or she had to keep the man in the house knowing that he was struggling to keep a job because back then a lot of in, in a lot of those uh situations, the black man was working construction or working, you know what I'm saying, uh positions that was was based off of um the weather or you know what I'm saying contracts you know what I'm saying just think about good times you know what I'm saying think about all the stuff James had to go through with finding a job and keeping the job or whatever it was always up and down with him finding a job and keeping the job and being able to put food and stuff on the table but around the 70s you know what I'm saying when the civil rights movement started to die down they killed off our 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 leaders and stuff like that, and a lot of people just start scattering, and, and you know what I'm saying, doing their thing. You, you had you had um, you had two points of the black family. You had poor black families, and you had the middle class back black families. Middle class back black families were coming up and moving into um, suburban areas. You know what I'm saying? I just talked about that in the Keith Warren issue. You know what I'm saying? How a lot of a lot of the people were moving out of D.C. and moving into suburban areas. And that was in a lot of uh, other parts of the country. You think about um, that that Prime show, the Amazon Prime show, them. And I talked about that on a episode, previous episode. Uh, but one of the things that was based off on that that show was that the black family in the show moved down from the south up to California into a suburban neighborhood. They was the only black family in the neighborhood. And that's when, you know what I'm saying, a lot of black southern families started migrating to the to the quote unquote north. You know what I'm saying? I'm a product of that. You know, my parents are from North Carolina and a lot of my family moved up north, you know. Merlin still considered the south, but it was northern, it was more northern than North Carolina. 
Uh, a lot of my family members moved to New York and all over the place, you know. So that's what a lot of black people did. But, yeah, you know, so a lot of pe- we got to as black people, period, black black men, black women, the black family structure, whatever. We have to understand that there are systems in place that are designed to keep us down as well as designed to keep us fighting against each other. <sighs> Where am I now? Um, let me see. Yeah, so just going back to um, that topic about the black men struggling to find jobs and stuff like that. It was a particular post that I seen on social media, and it says it's from a black woman. She says it's not a flex. Black wo- black women are preferred in places of oppression over black men. Excuse me, burp number three. We've been in those places alone and vulnerable. Burp number four, we've been in those places alone and vulnerable dealing with various prejudices underlined by our color. It's not a coincidence they don't want black men there. Think. And I thought that totally explained a a lot about, you know, I'm saying a lot of these these uh, corporate jobs, a lot of just the way the world is now when it comes to um, working and how. Uh, a lot of w- black women are are m- you see more black women in colleges you see more th- black women getting multiple degrees you see more black women uh getting jobs and being breadwinners of the house if a man is actually in the house so this isn't by design you know what i'm saying this isn't by design <laughs> i mean this is by design this is not a coincidence you know what i'm saying i think what um her post um, says a lot about it you know what i'm saying if you keep a black woman alone long enough she will start to have resentment toward a black man if she isn't keen on the play the chess moves or the chess play of what's going on in this system you know what i'm saying they'll look at a black man as trifling we we know all this stuff i mean let's be honest we know it. they look at him as trifling he ain't shit he lazy he ain't got no money. He not worth my time. He not a value man and all this other stuff. You know what I'm saying? So these, this, a lot of this stuff is 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 used against us as black men, and they use the black woman to push it. You know what I'm saying? This is just these are chess moves that they doing. Uh, moving on, black male suicides rising faster than any other racial group and what was interesting about me seeing is i saw it on instagram right so i wasn't surprised by it because i this is suicide is one of the leading causes of of black men period um i think it was like i think it's top three if i'm not mistaken um but i wasn't surprised about it so me seeing that headline it sparked in my brain, okay, there's an article on it. You know what I'm saying? There's 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 news about this, you know what I'm saying, for this for this um headline to just pop up. So and so I t- I went and did my Googles, typed in exactly what that headline said. I only found two articles or two news stories on it. That tells you how important they look at us <laughs> as black, you know what I'm saying? How important they they think of us and they look at us as black men. Only found two articles 
on this. And that was even after doing, after Googling it several times. Like when I first Googled it, I didn't find any articles. I had to come back to it like a few days later and Google it again. And finally something popped up. And I'm a researcher by by nature. I've been doing that ever since I was a little kid. I love researching stuff. So I I know I'm very good at researching and doing my Googles. <laughs> and it was crazy because I didn't find no articles on it, period. And I like I said, I typed in the exact headline. So it took few a few days later for me to type in the exact same headline again and something actually come up. But it was only two news stories. So I'm just going to read a couple of points out of these news stories about, you know, about this black black men and, you know, the suicide rate being higher than any other ethnic group. So it was uh, the first article I came upon um, that gave uh, uh, a, a, a real life um, example of of a family that went through this situation. So it says, um His mother, Joanne Kendrick, says she and his father had no clue that he was struggling mentally. Then on November 5th, 2021, their lives changed forever when he took his own life. Kendrick says she still doesn't know exactly what led her son to take his own life. She says he'd recently earned money from his first job in San Diego, and on the day that he shot himself, He was with his father and had just gotten his first car. Quote, he sent some text messages saying goodbye and that we shouldn't mourn him and that we shouldn't be sad and things of that nature. End quote, said Kendrick. Quote, so this was something that either was long in the making for it to occur or it was a split second decision. End quote. I can't specifically speak on on his mindset and why he committed suicide i can only speculate and i can only talk about you know my experiences the things that i've dealt with and the things that i've saw so to to hear that you know um they said you know he just got his paycheck and uh he just bought a car and all this other stuff and these these times we live in with the social media being so heavily um, focused on and worship in my eyes, this is my talk. I feel like people worship social media and the things that's in it. I feel like, you know, what I'm saying maybe, you know, what I'm saying he was struggling with comparing himself to other people on social media. Who knows? You know, what I'm saying or just to the world, comparing himself to the world and the amount of uh weight that's on a black man's shoulders to be able to make a certain amount of money or to be able to present yourself a certain way in order to feel good about yourself to get attention to get attention from women or your friends or whatever you know what i'm saying who knows what he was dealing with but i you know what i'm saying it's a tragic situation you know to to look at it as though you know a person who has you know everything going for themselves and stuff like that this is something that I dealt with plenty of times over the years when I first, you know, really confided in my close family and friends about my struggles with 
depression and anxiety back in 2016 people thought that it was just nonsense you know what i'm saying they didn't believe it a lot of people still don't believe it to this day because i'm able to maintain a life a job i have my own house you know car and you know what I'm, saying? I'm still you know i look functioning i'm a good looking person i get you know attention from women and stuff like that you know what i'm saying but people don't understand that isn't really in the mental health community and stuff that there is a such thing as high functioning depression and high functioning anxiety and stuff like that. But back to the article, it says a 2019 report released by the Congressional Black Caucus says that death by suicide among black youth is rising faster than any other racial group. Suicide ranked as the third leading cause of death in black men from ages 15 through 24 and black men are four times more likely to die by suicide than black women. And, you know, recently we had a, a few suicides, not just from black men. We had two suicides from black women uh, that were part of the beauty pageant community. Then you had uh, Regina King's son uh, dying by suicide. And I mean, this this isn't something that's new. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the great thing is that more awareness has been coming out about it um, over the years and, and stuff like that. It's a lot of more black therapists on social media that's, you know, being more engaged and involved in advocating for uh, mental health, healthy mental health. Um, but, yeah, the stigma is still strong. The strong the stigma is still stronger than the awareness. But, you know, um it's, it's moving and hopefully, you know, it'll get better. You know, I know a lot of people are invested and and um, fueled by, you know, putting out awareness and, you know, a lot of healthy um, ways and, you know, a lot of tools and stuff to deal with uh, mental illness or whatever, particularly in the black community. Um let me read some more quote. We need more black male therapists to be more vocal about their services and what they have to offer to these black men, because that's inherently who they're going to feel more comfortable with talking to. End quote, says Diamond Dale. And yeah, I agree with that to a certain degree. Uh, my first therapist, when I first started going to therapy, was a white male and he was cool and everything, but he just didn't get the black community, the black family and the things that black people deal with. So my second therapist after him was a black woman. And that was one of the best experiences I ever had was was with her. I've had experiences. Uh, I was I was going to her for about two years, a, a little over two years. Um, but I felt like that I needed to start going to a black male therapist. And um, I went to two black male therapists and it just didn't work out the same way that it was with the black woman therapist and one thing about therapy and finding the therapist for you is that it is just like any other relationship you have to be compatible you have to have chemistry you have to have comfortability you have to feel safe and everybody just isn't you know what i'm saying for you and that's okay you know what i'm saying because with any relationship you have to go through the motions of actually finding who is for you whether romantic or platonic you know so um, I'm in the quest now for finding a new therapist, one that is suitable for me. And based off of my experiences, you know, dealing with a white male, a black woman and two black men, I'm going to 
to uh, search for, I'm going to put my efforts toward looking for another black woman therapist and see how that works out. Um, maybe that just maybe was what's better for me is dealing with a black woman therapist. But I just I've had I haven't had very good experiences with a black male therapist, but that's just me. And that was only two times. So that's not to say that there isn't a black male therapist out there for me. There's definitely black male therapists that I do want to work with. But, you know, what I'm saying it's difficult when you have to consider the fact of. All all therapists don't take insurance, ins- medical insurance, health insurance, or they don't take the health insurance that you have. So it is it's definitely a um, an experience that you have to be very involved in, you know, and you can't just give up because things didn't work out. You know, because like I keep saying, it's just like any other relationship. You have to find what's right for you. So it's okay for you to go to multiple therapists to figure out which one is for you. And you will find one that's for you. And you know what I'm saying? With the black woman therapist that I had, our time was just up, you know, just like uh, anything. Um, you know, maybe I will work with her again one day. You know what I'm saying? Who knows? But you know what I'm saying? I've. I this was a decision that I made. I felt like I I wanted to try a black male therapist and it just didn't work out for me with the two that I, you know, I I worked with. And that's that's not to say that they didn't give me good advice or anything, you know what I'm saying, because they gave me good advice, you know what I'm saying, but it just wasn't fully what I needed. And that's okay, you know what I'm saying? It's just time to find the person who actually going to give me what I fully need. So back to the uh, articles. It says, um, let me see, I already read through that part. Let me move on. Okay, it says, um, quote, unfortunately, black men often suffer in silence, end quote, said therapist Nettie Jones. Quote, they don't seek the help that sometimes women will reach out to get. We'll call our girlfriends, let them know that things are not okay. But unfortunately, black men tend to not do that. They hold things in. They self-medicate. They are workaholics. You see how everything is tying in together that I've been playing and talking about since (laughs) you've been listening to the podcast. Thank you, God. (laughs) But, yeah, you see uh, the workaholic thing. This is one. That's the reason why I played that that Rick Ross clip or whatever. I've I've known a lot of high functioning, depressive and anxious black men i know that you know what i'm saying i've been there even before you know what i'm saying even though i'm a little bit more um introverted and conserved and nonchalant but that plays a part into you know because of what i've built up over the years the habits that i've built up over the years by dealing with depression and anxiety but then there you have the the opposite of the spectrum where you have people that's just always on the go and it's not even black men it's black women too i've seen it plenty of times so you know what I'm saying? There's a lot of high functioning, depressive and high functioning, anxious black people out here. So just like last episode, uh, Heartbreak Hotel, when I was talking about black men and and uh, how they don't deal with breakups the same way as black women. They don't deal with breakups as well. Why? Because we don't have that support system. 
because our support system, if we do have a support system, usually judges us based off of the programs or the stigmas that we've had throughout our life that we're not supposed to feel no pain. We're not supposed to be being emotional. We're not supposed to be crying. We're not supposed to be being soft or and all that other stuff. So that goes the same way. That's Women are more open to that. Just like I was talking about emotional intelligence versus emotional maturity or whatever. And a lot of black men aren't emotionally intelligent. So it's hard for us to be emotionally mature. And even with black women, you know. Uh, most black women are emotionally intelligent, but because just based off of the how things are, you know, women are more they they express themselves more emotionally than men do. But that doesn't necessarily make them emotionally mature. So, you know, what I'm saying it's a balance that you have to have between emotional intelligence and emotionally being emotionally mature. And black men, we we just just. We not even on the the playing field of the emotionally intelligent and emotionally mature thing most of the time. It's hard to be mature in something if you know what I'm saying. If you if if you don't know, it's hard to apply. And if you do know, you have to know how to actually how to apply. You have to actually be um um I'm trying to find the right word. You actually have to be engaged into a to applying what you know in order to get things right to find that healthy balance and stuff like that you know so but yeah when it comes to mental health i mean black men really don't have no safe spaces and even if they have a safe space is always that nervousness of being a burden to another person or opening up and feeling like that person has something against you and this is this is between black men, like, because no matter, like I always say this, no matter how much black men don't want to admit it or not, we are in constant competition with each other. And that is based off how we've been programmed. We've always about who who got what better, who got it first and all that other stuff. I mean, like, I remember being young and you asking a, a dude where he got his shoes from and he won't even tell you because he want to be the only one with the shoes. and You know what I'm saying? Shit like that. And this is just that is just the smallest example, but that is perpetuated. We always in competition with ourselves, no matter how much we want to lie about it or not. <laughs> and the one thing that I'll always say just by me uh, finally in the in the space of working on myself and healing and relearning things and stuff like that. If you. First, you have to be self-aware about, you know, who you are and the things that you're dealing with and stuff like that. You have to acknowledge these things. And secondly, you have to accept it. If you're not acknowledging and actually accepting where you are, then there's no way that you are going to actually grow and evolve as a, as a man. You know what I'm saying? And that was one of the things that I had to come to grips with. I had to actually acknowledge the fact that I was suffering from depression and anxiety. Then I actually had to accept it because it was for years. It was plenty of years where I acknowledged that, you know what I'm saying, something wasn't right with me mentally and emotionally that, you know what I'm saying, that I may have been suffering from depression or anxiety, but I didn't accept it. It had to come to the point where I was tired of being sick and tired. 
And that's when I first started finally going to therapy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we have to have these open spaces, black men. We have to not judge it because there's been plenty of times, even when I was open, like I've had people that, you know, what I'm saying I'm, I'm still, you know, that are still in my life today that actually make jokes about, you know, me uh, struggling with a mental illness and stuff like that. I have had people say to me, damn, do you need to go to therapy and stuff like that? Taking shots or whatever. And I'm not I'm sure you probably like why you still got this person in your life or whatever. Hey, I know. I know, <laughs> but the relationship ain't the same, but yeah, that, 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 that's something that you have to deal with people using certain shit against you, looking at you a certain way. It's people, I already know that, you know what I'm saying? Like when I came out about, you know what I'm saying? Struggling with mental illness and stuff like that over the years, like I'm 40, 40 years old now. I, I was struggling with depression and anxiety from the age of 13. When I first started high school, freshman year of high school, that's when it first started. That's that's where me and the therapist established where all of everything began for me with, with mental illness. And when I finally came out about it to the, the people that were close to me or whatever, you know, when I finally accepted it and, you know, I created my blog, which is greatestiamblog.com. Check it out. Plenty of blog posts up there talking about my experiences um, people started to separate themselves from me or, you know what I'm saying? Like I said, they would take shots, use certain things against you or whatever, because they, they don't fully understand it or it's that stigma around it, or it makes them uncomfortable. So they're projecting their uncomfortability onto me and stuff like that. But yeah, people, people don't really be wanting to hang out with me like that. Or some people think that I be trying to milk the, the, the mental health talk and stuff like that. You know, some people really don't buy it because of how I look and how my life is, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm good looking, because I have a job, you know what I'm saying? I'm functioning. I, I'm a functioning person that has dealt with mental illness. And still, so you know what I'm saying? It's still, it's, it's still things that linger to this day. I still have certain struggles based off of years of, of learning and and coping and def defending my you know what I'm saying my inner child or you know what I'm saying so yeah let me get back to it uh it says while rates of suicide and anxiety have risen sharply during the pandemic a recent study from the journal JAMA JAMA I guess finds that suicide attempts were rising at an alarming rate long before COVID-19 the study found that black males had the highest increase in suicide attempts compared to any other race in the group, for example, increasing nearly 80 percent. And this is just my opinion. I feel like. The rise in that, excuse me, burp five, six and seven, <laughs> I feel like the rise in that is because a lot of black men. We're sitting in the house and they actually had to sit down and deal with it. If anybody who's like follow me on social media and on the podcast and stuff like that, y'all know I, right before the lockdown happened, I was talk. I did episodes on this talking about how a lot of people are going to have struggles during this pandemic and this lockdown and stuff because people were actually going to have to sit down with themselves and their issues. And you saw high numbers of divorce. 
you see high numbers of suicide, et cetera, et cetera, because people weren't able to be high functioning anymore. I mean, I had to deal with it a little bit myself. Like right before the pandemic, I was still working with my black uh, woman therapist. And what we were particularly working on at that time was my struggles with social anxiety. That's one of my biggest, biggest hurdles or one of my that was one of my biggest hurdles was social anxiety. And right before the pandemic, she was giving me homework assignments and stuff to start going out more by myself and stuff like that. Start doing more things, you know what I'm saying? Start venturing out, being more social and just getting out the house more and stuff like that. Because um, just based off of how I grew up, how I grew up and, you know, how I encapsulated myself and tried to protect myself and cope with things, I stayed to myself a lot. So me staying to myself a lot was me always staying in the house a lot. So I got this townhouse to myself, and you know what I'm saying? I spent a lot of time in it. Um, Still do to this day, but you know what I'm saying? Based off of me having a lot of the tools and stuff throughout therapy and a lot of books that I read and stuff like that, a lot of things that I've learned, you know what I'm saying? I'm able to cope in a more healthier way with it, despite still having some struggles. But like right when the pandemic happened and the lockdown stuff, I was kind of distraught, you know what I'm saying? Because I was like, damn, you know what I'm saying? I was on this plateau, but now I'm I'm declining again because I can't, you know what I'm saying? The world was, it was shut down. And even in the past uh, couple of months, I would say starting around like, uh, towards the end of, of summer 2021, um, around, uh, like the end of summer, early fall or whatever to now, I, I, I had some struggles. Like I was like, it was to the point where I was getting like a lot, like real emotional. A lot of the times and stuff like that, I was dealing with like a lot of, um, releasing of emotions. Um, and I struggled a lot and I was by myself. I mean, I even did like an episode on it. That previous episode, if you're not a um uh consistent listener, uh that episode I am not okay. And you know what I'm saying? I I talked about how I wasn't okay. Like it was like stuff going on in my personal life and just being shut shutting in the house and stuff like that. And it it kinda like it, it took a toll on me. Like stuff was just was hitting me it was like it was like a build-up of things but yeah um back to the article it says quote my son was 25 when he took his life his father and i had no idea he was struggling mentally and to this day we have no idea what led to him doing something so drastic he had a new job he had a girlfriend as far as we could tell everything was fine end quote had it not been for the note he left they would have believed that it was foul play. Quote. Um, and this was similar to the, the last story I read. Same, like some of the same. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, let me see. It says. Um, Breland Noble, one of the psychiatrists that was quoted in this article, says. Breland Noble pointed to the fact that young black men are discriminated against in school and can often be perceived as older than they are. There is also a lack of black therapists to speak to young black men about the hardships that they face. 
No matter how well-meaning a non-black psychologist is, Breland Noble said, they can't relate to the lived experiences of a young black man. Hence what I was saying about when I had my black, I mean, my white male therapist. Quote, they don't understand the concepts that your family has to deal with, the day-to-day stressors. They don't understand racial trauma. They don't understand racism-induced stress, end quote, Breland Noble said. Um, It says, according to the national, um, according to, come on the phone. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, negative attitudes and beliefs toward people who suffer from mental health challenges are prevalent within the U.S. and can be particularly strong within the black community. Quote, other barriers to help seeking have been mistrust of the medical system and gatekeeping by the black church, end quote, said therapist Logan Wilson, who specializes in treatment of black males. Quote, many still believe that there's no need to go and sit on a stranger's couch when they can find what they need in the safety and comfort of a pew or in prayer with the pastor, end quote. Jones said it's imperative that we give black men the forum to talk. Quote, the more we talk about it, the more we normalize the conversation, she said. Yes, indeed. Um, I had the pleasure of back, I think it was back in 2019, I spoke on a panel at the uh, ATF, um, Tobacco Firearms Agency in D.C. And I remember um, just speaking about my experiences. You know what I'm saying? That's what I always do. I'm not a mental health professional. So I speak on my experiences, the things that I've gone through, the things that I've seen. I remember after that panel speaking, a lot of black men came up to me and said that what I said was was real. You know what I'm saying? I was talking about how how uh, the my black woman therapist at the time used to always say to me, you know, um, you're not feeling your feelings. You know what I'm saying? You what you think are your feelings is actually what you're thinking. They're your thoughts or whatever, you know. And I just talked about how black men struggle with actually knowing what our feelings are and actually expressing those things and stuff like that. And I talked about, you know, the list that she gave me. Uh, One side was negative feelings and the other side was positive feelings. And we used to sit and go through our therapy session. And when she would ask me what I'm feeling, I would have to go through those that list whether negative or positive and actually tell her what I was feeling. And then in turn, actually knowing what you're feeling is easy to express it and actually how to uh, heal from it. You know, Um, what else? Okay. Uh, It says, quote, asking someone if they are suicidal will not increase the risk that they will die by suicide, end quote, said Wilson. Inquiring about potential self-harm in a compassionate way may instead provide an opportunity for the person to express their feelings and reach out for help. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a lot of information out there, a lot of information on how to, you know, speak to someone how to bring up certain topics um we just got to start communicating more and not being afraid and not falling into the stigma of, of of mental illness and stuff like that because you know um black men are hurting out here and we don't have a place to turn to it's a therapist that i follow black male therapist that i follow on instagram that's in my area and 
he posted something that I thought was very um, telling. And he says, so many men feel like they're by themselves. Even when there are physical bodies around them, their thoughts go invalidated. Their presence seems ignored and their value is questioned. They bury themselves in production and performance, performance, which leaves them even more empty. And I mean, that's, that says a lot right there. And he's, he uh he says something else. Let me um come on, phone. He says um he says I've been here before, and this led me to saying, "quote Yes, I can do that." End quote. So a lot of things I needed to pass on. The yes was tied to being quote needed slash wanted end quote, as well as an escape from uncomfortable, lonely, painful thoughts because busy distracts those thoughts. I was exhausted, burnt out, and had compassion fatigue. Yeah, man, I mean, and that is something that I, I, I get DMs all the time from black men about certain things I talk about on the podcast, blog posts, certain things I post, you know what I'm saying, about my experiences, just period. And it's a lot of black men out there that's feeling this way that aren't comfortable aren't comfortable or they feel safe enough to to speak about this, you know what I'm saying? So I get a lot of the DMs and stuff like that. So it's like an extra burden put on to me with, you know what I'm saying, of feeling like I have to save save these men or, you know what I'm saying, be the shoulder for them as well, even while I'm going through my relearning of things and my healing and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's... It's rough out here and it's not talked about enough about what men go through. Um, black, I mean, men in general, but me more focusing on black men. So let me play this clip real quick. One second. Let me see, having some technical difficulties, unfortunately, and it's not even Mercury retrograde. How about that? <laughs> For a lot of men in America, it's actually easier to get a gun than to get a therapist, uh, especially if you go to rural areas. Uh, I went to uh, Montana, for example, who has the second uh, highest rate of suicide in America right after Wyoming. Uh, Two thirds of county of rural counties in America don't have a single psychiatrist. Mm. And so when you mix that mental health issue and a mental health issue that we really don't address with men, right? Men don't tend to uh, have the same kind of space to be able to talk about their feelings and be as vulnerable as women. Uh, far less men actually seek therapy than women do. Again, this is all data that's out there. And yet we don't really have those conversations intersect with the problem with gun violence in America. And I wonder how it would look like if we were to have more of a compassionate conversation when it comes to masculinity for a lot and yeah masculinity i mean you you see that term just blew up off of social media toxic masculinity toxic toxic masculinity but what had well who was that term directed towards black men black men and who was the who were the people that was pushing that black women and i'm not sitting here to say that to 
to put blame on black women. I'm putting I'm saying that to say that like I've like I've been saying, like I've always said on my podcast is that the system of white supremacy uses black women to push their narratives and their agendas. And black women are so indoctrinated into that agenda that it is constant infighting and disdain for each other. I'm sure y'all seen that meme that has gone around plenty of times. Um, It's a meme of, it says, when Tyrese had a mental breakdown online in regards to not seeing his daughter in two years, people laughed at him and he became a meme. When Kanye West had a mental breakdown on TV, people called him crazy and he too became a meme. The world watched Will Smith listen to his wife tell him um, that she had an affair. People laughed at Will. He too became a meme. Yet folks wonder why men don't open up about their mental health. And speaking of uh, Will Smith, I can't believe I, I missed that. I missed that in my outline. But I finally watched the uh, Will Smith docu-series that was on uh, YouTube, um, Best Shape of My Life. So I took some notes um, about it. And, man, that that um, docu-series was deep. And it was very telling, and I saw a lot of parallels with uh, other black men, black people, period, but mostly black men and as well as myself. So I'm going to just point out some things I took notes on. Um, uh, They talked about how they, meaning uh, Will's therapist and a lot of the people that he was, uh, his friends that was profiled in the documentary, as well as Will talked about, you know, uh, um, he worried he worried a lot about other people's perception of him. Picture that, you know, what I'm saying, like I said, we always have these these stigmas around seeing high functioning people or good looking people or people who seem to have it get together and stuff that we don't we don't we don't see those red flags or we don't want to believe that they're actually going through something because for some reason in the black community we always sit here comparing. Um, what somebody is going through, what somebody has, what somebody is going through, who's worse or what, and all that other stuff. It, shit is annoying to me because I've had people dead smack look at me in my face and say, well, you know what I'm saying? My stuff worse than yours, so you know I got to be going through it. You know what I'm saying? Shit like that. And that's just not where we should be. You know what I'm saying? No matter how we try to compare what's worse and what's, what's not, uh, end up personal individual's life is their life and we can never put our feet in somebody else's shoes and actually know how they look at things how they perceive things how they feel things and all that other stuff so but yeah he's worried about other people's perception of him of course he did this docuseries because he said he was in the worst shape of his life and he talked about, you know, how sharing, you know, sharing your life can be uncomfortable. And um, and that that's something that res- resonated with me, even though I talk a lot about um, mental health, mental illness and my struggles and my experiences and stuff like that. It's uncomfortable for me every time I do it. Honestly, like it is not easy for me to do. It's a lot of stuff that I just haven't shared yet. <laughs> I really haven't shared yet. Um. 
yeah, so during him during the moment of him getting in the shape and stuff like that, the focus was on his, you know, his physique, his physique, his physical health, but he didn't realize how much that it would it was going to trickle down into his emotional and mental health. And I think and it just be by me being somebody who's worked out for years, been in the gym for years, people don't actually realize how much your emotional and mental health um, plays a part into you actually getting into shape physically. And during this time of him getting in his best physical shape, he was also writing his book. Um, and, he, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, not feeling good physically and mentally during the process. And he definitely showed a lot of insecure insecurities um, during this docuseries. Um, I was surprised that, you know, um, how he showed a lot of his insecure moments and stuff like that. He he cried a lot. He teared up a lot and stuff like that. And one of the things that I wasn't surprised about when I heard it was just based off of talking about high functioning anxiety and depression and stuff was that a lot of the performing and joking and stuff that he does is to to hide his embarrassment and uncomfortability. It's a defense mechanism for him. It's his protection, you know, um, and that that came from his childhood. One of the things that stood out to me the most was how he talked about when his parents were together, his father uh, physically abused his mother. And he's his father was also a military man, so he was very strict and stuff like that. And he said he felt when he first saw his his uh, dad put his hands on his mom, he felt as though that he had to always keep his dad laughing. And he had he had to always perform for his dad in order to make sure that his dad didn't hit his mom again or that his dad wouldn't be angry in the house and stuff like that. So people forget the fact that, you know, a lot of the things that we do as adults today came from our childhood that's why you hear all this talk a lot about inner child this inner child that you have to heal your inner child you have to relearn things from your inner child that's why i always talk about you know even once you heal from depression and anxiety you have to work on your habits because you picked up a lot of habits while you were going through all this trauma these coping mechanisms these defense mechanisms and stuff like that. That's why when you see people running away, they ghosting, they um, being angry or they being uh, nonchalant or they being standoffish and stuff like that. Or they being, you know, jokey, jokey, always been trying to be the center of attention and stuff like that. Though These are coping mechanisms. These are defense mechanisms and stuff like that. So we have to be aware of this stuff. We have to acknowledge it and accept it and and try to, you know, heal from it. But, yeah, one one of the things that also dealt with his uh, his childhood and his father being in the military and stuff like that was that he always has to will always has to have control over situations. He and one thing his therapist said is that he always has to put himself in situations that are uh, very competitive or very, um, very. he has to put himself in very difficult situations in order for him to achieve things like success. He's addicted to succeeding. He's a that that's what he predicates his self-worth off of, of being addicted to succeeding and being liked and stuff like that. 
And one of the things he talked about that I was kind of surprised at was that when a lot of times over the years when he would try to get into shape or he wasn't feeling secure about his body and stuff like that was he wouldn't eat. He would have like um, he would what he would call it was fasting, but it wasn't really fasting. He was he was purposely not eating. He was having an eating disorder. You know what I'm saying? And that's one thing that I I've I've started to learn about with doing a lot of reading and research and stuff is that a lot of our gut health is tied to our mental health. The things that you ingest in your body, alcohol, smoking, uh, junk food, uh, fried foods, greasy foods and stuff like that. You have to. I'm not no one to sit here and tell anybody what to eat, drink, and all that other stuff. You know what I'm saying? I do have the things that I do for myself, but everybody has to find that healthy balance for them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to sit here and tell you. I'm not one of them vegan and vegetarian warriors. No, I'm not going to be trying to do that. But, yeah, um, even though, like, one thing that that I noticed about Will, you know, particularly since he started his YouTube page and he was doing all these extreme things and stuff like that, that he seemed like he was such a fearless person. But he had a lot of fears in just other areas. And that's one thing that I was talking to somebody about this, about how that's one thing that we will sit around all day long. And this is what I notice with black people, you know, with us, period. And I'm including myself. I'll always include myself because I'm not perfect. So we will criticize each other's fears and anxieties and, and, and stuff like that all day long as if. We don't have a fear or anx- or anxiety in a, a different area in our life. So we all have our fearless areas of our lives where we just, you know what I'm saying, we just go do it. It's, it's, it's not, nothing's going to stop us. But then we, are, we have other areas in our lives where we have these fears. We have these anxieties. But we continuously always want to get on each other or criticize or judge or crack jokes on each other about stuff like that what else his therapist also said that he had this work hard play hard mindset and um like i said he always has to find the impossible task he always has to find difficult excuse me things to do i think that's burp number eight and she referred to it as a manic defense Damn, I can't read my handwriting right here. What this say? Yeah, she referred to it as a manic defense. So, you know what I'm saying? Um, he always got to be on the go. That high-functioning shit, you know what I'm saying? He always got to gotta be on the go and stuff like that. And, it, and it's always interesting to see people who have that high-functioning thing because I'm, like, like I said, I'm the total opposite. I'm the chill, introverted, um, nonchalant-type person or whatever. Um, part of it is my personality, but part of it is also my habits. So I'm the type of person you have to really like, I need people to motivate me in certain areas, particularly when it comes to getting out of the house and doing certain things and stuff like that. Cause I'm always content to chill in my house, play on my pool table, listen to music, read, read books, um, watch movies and TV shows and documentaries and stuff. I'm cool with that. You know what I'm saying? I've been out of the country before. I've traveled and stuff like that. So, you know what I'm saying? I think those things are beautiful. You know what I'm saying? So, But 
I still need that certain push from other people. But a lot of people that are that I have relationships with um, in the past and in the present, platonic or romantic, didn't necessarily understand that. And I didn't know how to necessarily express that to them, that I need them to kind of get me out of my element and push me and stuff like that. Some some. I'm very more vocal now. I'm very more comfortable in in my in with myself and in my with my past difficulties and some of the things that I have to get through as far as unlearning things and relearning things and getting over habits and stuff like that. So I'm able to express that more. And and the people who the people I know that really care are the ones that actually, you know, what I'm saying push me to get outside my element. And I appreciate them for that. So that's a shout out to y'all. So let me finish this up and I'm going to have to end this podcast because we're getting close to two hours and I definitely didn't want to go this long. I might. Yeah. Damn. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Like the like I was talking about the high function and stuff. Uh, He was talking about how he him and his therapist talking about how he had to fill his days with with stuff. And he never really wanted to sit down and stuff like that, because I think uh, in. He's a very conscious person, a very self-aware person. So I think he knew that if he actually had to sit down, that he was going to have to deal with stuff that he didn't want to deal with. And that that was one of the things that they they focused on a lot. The docuseries as well as him, because he was on a deadline for actually getting his book done. But he was having such an issue with actually sitting down and writing his book. And that was one thing that I resonated with with him was that. It took an emotional toll on him when he had to relive certain things of his life with writing that book. That's why with my book, I'm still on chapter one, because when I first started writing my book, I think it was back in 2017, chapter one. And when I first wrote those first few pages, man, I was just like, damn, I was drained. Like, I didn't want to relive that shit no more. Like, I got emotional, but. I'm finally in a place now where I know where, you know, what I'm saying I've been getting myself back together with writing my book and and knowing that I, I have to just take it, you know, day by day with just with everything. But, yeah, this even before watching the docuseries, I was already in the process of, re, you know, what I'm saying getting back into writing my book or whatever. But just seeing what Will went through and the things and how he actually uh, went through the process of having to write his book. So it. it it gave me more motivation and more um, ways of of kind kind of I'm mean, this the word I'm gonna use attacking my um, my emotions and you know getting that book done because it's very important yeah so I actually purchased Will's book and I recently bought that same book for my brother for his birthday and we said that we was gonna read it read a chapter every month and you know have discussions about it or whatever but yeah back to the will docuseries um you know like i said he used to perform and joke and you know i'm saying this all came from his childhood you know he he uh created characters as a kid you know i'm saying one to one of the characters was the the joking performing character and the other character was the character that was sort of similar to his dad, the the character that kept him disciplined and consistent with actually getting things done. So 
if you watch the docu series or you already watched it, you'll you'll see it. I don't want to give too much stuff away. This is just the the little notes that I have. Yeah, so he always uh struggled with the real world and the imaginary world because this is what he created from being a child. That imaginary world where he's always performing and getting that love and being liked and stuff like that and making people feel good. But he's he's to the point now where he's just actually really dealing with the real world of things. And that's what came about with him trying to get in the shape and writing that book or whatever. You know, that imaginary world was his way to cope and escape from things. Um, What else? Uh, oh, yeah. He talked about how he doesn't consider his limits you know, because uh, he's so focused on achieving the goal. And that's that, that workaholic type mentality and stuff like that, whatever. Um, what else? Yeah, I talked about the emotional exhaustion with him writing the book and how it affected his physical uh, health with his weight loss journey. Yeah, because in a lot of, um, in that docuseries, there was a lot of times where he wasn't consistent or disciplined with his workouts. Um, What else? Yeah, that's it, man. That was um, it was a good docu series, man. Everybody should check that joint out, particularly black men. Y'all should check that joint out because it's a lot of shit in there that that um is about us. I mean, shit, we can all resonate with that. So I'm gonna uh, start wrapping it up, but I'm gonna play a couple of clips that has to do with you know all the stuff that I've been talking about. Here we go. Let me see. Let me pull this clip up. Let me see. Raising a child consists of much more than feeding, clothing, and sheltering it. That's maintaining one. To raise one, you need a return of the parental coalition of the father and the mother to put the proper values into the child. Uh, many of our boys, uh, when we raise them alone, uh, they grow up with the female emotional mechanism. Uh, they are are suspicious, they are doubtful, they are disrespectful of womanhood, they are bitchy, they can't make a decision. And many of our girls who grow up in a home where there's no man present, they go out into the world and try to mate. They don't have any idea how to live with a man day to day, how to prepare a proper meal, how to be a mother, how to just be in love in the home. Uh, most of what our people and our children especially have learned about uh, how you have a relationship, they learned off of television. And television doesn't represent our needs. And so a lot of the confusion has come, you know, from outside agencies that we have not recognized how detrimental it has been to us as a people. Can and, I uh, and that was uh, Shaharazad Ali. She was talking about the black family and having the black man in the household. And, you know, what I'm saying I've, I've talked about that or whatever during this this particular episode as well as previous episodes. But, yeah, um. One of the, one of the things in in getting this show together and doing my research on some things and stuff like that, I came across this uh something that I didn't even know about. It was a um a report back in nineteen uh I believe sixty five. It was called the Moynihan Report. It's spelled M O Y N I H A N Moynihan Report, and it was from the sixties and. Um, it was a study on the black family. Uh, and one of the things that I found interesting about it was the one of the highlights of that report talked about how the black community was the only matriarchy in the country and also the worst off as a result. 
you know, because it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, women, black women out here that look at it as though they don't need a black man in, in the household or they don't need a black man in the child's life and stuff like that. And they man, <laughs> uh, I can go on and on. But, yeah, uh, let me pull up uh, some of the stuff from from this report. OK, uh, that report is also the Moynihan report is also called the. Um, let me find it. It's also called the Negro family. Um, yeah, it's called the Moynihan report and the Negro, the Negro family in America. And let me just read a couple of things right real quick. Um, let me see. It says this, this report is by Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Uh, it's a 1965 government report called The Negro Family, and they argued that the unstable family structure of many African-Americans as reflected in high rates of female-headed families and out-of-wedlock births was the primary barrier to attaining racial equality. So, yeah, um, I encourage everybody to look it up. I'll talk about it on the next episode, going to it more further. So I'm going to leave it here. We about coming up on two hours. So I'll talk about it further. I don't want to go over two hours. So, I'm, you know, I end every episode with a, a song. So I'm going to pull that song up and hey, find me on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, as well as YouTube. I'm on uh, Instagram, A Taste to Consider Podcast. Also, greatestiamblog.com. Make sure you like, share, hit me up uh, on Instagram. Uh, give me that feedback. Give me some topics. Give me, you know, anything. If you want to be on the podcast and we can actually sit in the room together, that's the only way that I will have guests on the podcast. I mean, I guess I'll. It depends on who the guest is, if I'll do it over the phone or not. But I will prefer to have the physical interaction or whatever. But, yeah. Um, yeah, also, you uh, and you network on Instagram. It's you a n d underscore network. All the uh, podcasts are on there. Three stars, two bars. Separate the two podcasts. Reservation for three podcasts. Unprocessed knowledge podcast as well as code machine podcast and of course you know me taste to consider podcast so i'm gonna go ahead and play this song we gonna end this right off i appreciate all the love i appreciate all the support thank you taste to consider podcast let's wait while this joint comes up uh-huh yeah I feel good about this episode. Now I got to give me something to eat.
Now we was once two brothers of the same kind Quick to approach a ghetto cutie with the same line You was just a little smaller but you still rolled Got stretched to YA, hit the hood swole Remember when you had a Jerry girl, never quite learned Drinking 90 proof on the roof, tripping off Sherm Collect calls to the tip, singing how you change But you a pussy now no more dope games, I just got the phone call, heard you got bad Wanna go to the mops, no time for females I'm losing touch with my homie, he's a changed man He hit the pen and now no sinning is the game plan When I say I'm living large, all you see is the struggle When I say I'm still thugging, all you see is the struggle Congratulations on the wedding I hope your wife know She got a player for life And everybody miss you I know you were part You probably don't remember I used to think with the sister But never did get with her And I can see us after school we bombed On the first play of haters With the wrong set on Now the whole thing's changed Cause we don't even kick it Got a big money scheme And you ain't even with it Knew in my heart you was the same young brother that When it's time for Rogo Told him to watch your brother's back I can't even lie I ain't laughing at you You trying hard to maintain Go ahead Cause I ain't mad at you Dozens whole neighborhood wasn't No, that we wasn't Used to catch us on the roof Or behind the stairs I'm getting blitzed And I reminisce on all the times we shared Besides bumping and grinding Wasn't nothing on our mind In time we learned to live a life of crime Rewind me back to a place Was much too young to know I caught a felony loving the way the guns blow And even though we separated Told me you wait, don't get nobody I my loving while I'll be locked up state. I kiss my mama goodbye and wipe the tears from my lonely eyes. Said I'll return, but I gotta fight the fix to ride. Don't shed a tear. Mama, I ain't happy here. I'll be traveling with smacks for a couple of years. They got me going max. I'm knocking busters on their backs in my cell, thinking hell, I know one day I'll be back. But as soon as I touch down, I told my girl I'll be dead. So prepared to get love down. My homies wanna kick you. But I'm just laughing at you. I play too many games. But I ain't mad at you. Say so sticking to the podcast. Let's go. This the uh, radio version, the video version. I fuck with this one better because of this part right here. Barely breathing, believing that the world is a prison. It's like a ghetto we can never leave. A broken rose giving bloom through the cracks of the concrete. So many other things for us to see. Things to be our history, so full of tragedy and misery. To all my homies, never made it home. The dead peers I shared tattoos tears for when I'm alone. Picture us inside a ghetto heaven, a place to rest, finding peace through this land of stress. In my chest, I feel pain coming sudden storms. Life full of rain in this game, watch for land dawn. Our unborn never got to grow, never got to see what's next. In this world full of countless threats. I beg God to make a way for our ghetto kids to breathe. Show a sign, make us all believe. Cause I ain't mad at you. All the homeboys that passed away. Black man, black man, I ain't mad at you. I understand. I know what you're going through. I'm here for you. We gonna get through this. Say, sticking to the podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Silver.